but it does look like physical activity um, might have at least some effect on symptoms of, of depression uh, and potentially anxiety as well. I find it really strange that they tell people who are suffering with poor mental health to just go and be active as if it's not a struggle in itself to be active. It's certainly something that's missing from the evidence base now is, is how, how we best get people to engage in um, activity that's meaningful for them. And I don't think we've cracked that one yet, certainly not for young people. There's a lot of unregulated um, mental health apps out there um, which could really be quite dangerous. Welcome Whatever Works, movement and monitoring. Introducing our guests, Alan Bailey, Fiori Giza and Annie Walsh. Hi, so I'm Alan. Uh, I work at Origin and the Centre for Youth Mental Health at the University of Melbourne, uh, where I coordinate the evidence mapping team there. Um, and the Welcome Trust project that we were looking at was uh, bodily movement and its role in being a potential treatment for depression and anxiety uh, for young people. Hi, I'm Fury. So uh, I've got lived experience of uh, mental health conditions. Um, I'm also a personal trainer who focuses on um, mental health and a PhD candidate. So hi, yeah, I'm uh, Annie Walsh. I'm a postdoctoral researcher um, and senior project manager at King's uh, College London IOPTM. Um, I focus mainly on depression risk and uh, looking at early intervention in adolescence um, across different uh, contexts, so including lower middle income countries. Um, and then most recently with this Welcome Trust Active Ingredients project, uh, the potential of remote measurement technologies in facilitating this. Um, and I also have lived experience uh, of mental health conditions myself. What is physical activity? It's basically any sort of bodily movement, so the movement of your body that increases your energy expenditure. So that can be from things like walking to the shops, uh, doing some housework, gardening, that kind of thing, right through to kind of exercise type behavior, like jumping on a treadmill um, and everything in between as well. So exercise is kind of a subset of physical activity and it's more structured and repetitive and it aims to improve and or maintain an element of physical fitness. So Things like running and cycling might be something that would help with your cardiorespiratory fitness. Um, lifting weights or, or Pilates might be sort of a muscle strengthening um, element. And things like yoga could also be like a flexibility or balance type, type activity. Is exercise good for our mental health? We know from adults that there's quite a lot of trials have been conducted and there's some quite convincing evidence that physical activity and particularly exercise interventions seem to have a, um, a, a decent sized effect on depression symptoms. So they seem to help with people who are experiencing depression. Um, there's a lot less research has been done in or with young people who are experiencing depression and anxiety and those type of conditions. And that was kind of what we were looking at is to see whether that evidence in the, in the adult literature replicates or is similar in in the young person literature can physical activity help to prevent mental illness the evidence around prevention 
um, is quite limited. So we have some associations between um, the level of activity someone might engage in and the number of symptoms they might be experiencing. But that relationship is um, it's bi-directional, so it goes both ways. Um, and we don't really know whether uh, physical activity can actually prevent someone from having or from experiencing uh, an episode of depression or anxiety uh, later down the track, certainly in young people. Um, in adults, there is some evidence that suggests that there is a, an association between doing more activity and having a reduced risk of experiencing uh, depression uh, down the track. Uh, but certainly in young people, there are some cohort studies that do indicate there is an association, but it's pretty limited. Um, and that's about preventing the onset of, a, say, a future episode of depression or anxiety. Can physical activity treat youth depression and anxiety? So we found that compared to sort of those no treatment or wait lists, we found that physical activity had quite a large effect on reducing symptoms of depression um, and also reducing symptoms of anxiety. Um, we didn't find many studies that had been done in anxiety, so we're a little bit less certain around whether these physical activity interventions can actually reduce anxiety in a consistent basis across a wide range of young people. Um, but there might be an indication that uh, some more studies should be done um, in this area to sort of flesh out that evidence base. Um, but certainly for depression, there were a lot more trials that we found that had been conducted. Um, the evidence base is still only emerging. So there's a lot of, um, there's some methodological issues with the evidence base at the moment. So we certainly do need some more trials to sort of be a bit more confident um, in, in the findings, but it does look like physical activity um, might have at least some effect on symptoms of, of depression uh, and potentially anxiety as well. How can we promote physical activity to youth? So, you know, when you go to GPs, normally, for example, if they were to offer you therapy, you go to a therapist or you have someone to go to, or if it's medication, the GP kind of provides you with the medication, but there's no one they provide you when it comes to physical activity. I find it really strange that they tell people who are suffering with poor mental health to just go and be active as if it's not a struggle in itself to be active. And so I think it definitely goes alongside um, other forms of uh, therapy or medication, but I think they normally should provide somebody, even if it was maybe like six weeks with a personal trainer or six weeks in like a group session. And I think it'd be really good just because a lot of times with things like um, medication, for example, which can be very good for some people, there are side effects like gaining weight and other things. And I think like having physical activity in place could just combat that and kind of make it a bit easier for a person. Ideally, uh, physical activity and more generally lifestyle interventions should probably be one of the first sort of go-tos, I think. That would be probably where it would where it would want to sit. Um, it's generally seen to be safe. Um, and also acceptable to young people, although we do have some limitations around, around safety data. Um, but in terms of it being one of those interventions that um, is sort of like a lower intensity intervention, um, 
it might not require uh, multiple sessions over multiple weeks um, to actually engage in some physical activity. So it's a lower intensity intervention potentially. So it might fit at the sort of at the start of a step care model, for example. Um, but having said that, the evidence that we have at the moment, particularly from depression, seems to indicate that across a variety of uh, severities, so from mild through to severe, uh, there's similar sized effects seems to pop out. What that kind of indicates is that it might be effective across the broad range of symptom experience that a young person might be presenting with. So that doesn't mean that it would necessarily exclude physical activity from also being implemented sort of at a um, in, a, in, a, in a more in a more severe case potentially alongside some other um, you know some medication or some uh, talking therapy for example so it certainly doesn't exclude that that potential. I think there needs to be more um, training for people who are personal trainers or in the field of physical activity with mental health. I know when I did my course there was nothing on mental health which I think should definitely change. Um, but I think they should just be given a variety of options, whether it's like online videos or whether it's like maybe online group sessions or um, places where people can actually go. I know for me, um, even though I'm a personal trainer and I know how to be active and I know how to exercise in the correct way, like the correct form, etc., it's still a very big struggle for me to leave my house sometimes but I've like built steps that I can take to kind of get there. And I kind of think if those steps or similar steps were I guess given to other people and sort of like, if you're struggling to leave your house, like here are like baby steps that you can take. I feel like sometimes the GP and other places, they kind of throw you in the deep end and they're just sort of like, go on a walk and go to the gym or go for a swim. And I think they're kind of forgetting that sometimes literally leaving your house is the problem, not necessarily being active. It's physically and mentally getting yourself out and I think if they focus more on the baby steps of getting the person out of the house first then we'd definitely be able to get more people to be physically active. The, 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 the intervention trials that currently have been conducted basically all of them are a prescribed supervised structured uh, activity session that you're going to multiple times a week you know, there's a there's an edu- an, an exercise educator there of, of varying sort of uh, quality or um or experience, but that's that's the kind of structure of these of these interventions, um, which is a bit in contrast to what our lived experience experts were telling us they wanted. So the things that they were talking about was wanting preference and choice around what they could do when they could do it. And it was very much a more of a physical activity focus than an exercise focus. And there's a, a good distinction there to make as well. Um, so it looked like that was that was really important. So there is this distinction between we just tell the population that they need to be meeting physical activity guidelines and they'll get all these benefits, which is it's an aspirational thing and that's a, that's completely fine, but that's not suitable for everybody. And I think we have to realise that that's not suitable for everybody. And we have to start thinking about what are the factors that um, are going to be important for people if they're experiencing depression or anxiety, and if if a function of of if of experiencing those things means that it's difficult to get outside, that's what our interventions have got to be about. 
Does physical activity have any adverse effects? Of the studies that we looked at that had looked at these interventions, nearly 80% of them had not reported on any kind of adverse events that might have occurred. So we don't know if they even collected that information, and if they did, they certainly didn't report it. So it's a real shame. So it really limits our ability to kind of confidently say, yes, this is a partic- this is a potentially safe intervention, or no, it's not. But we do know that for certain groups of young people who might be experiencing, um, it might be sort of an emerging eating disorder um, or some subthreshold symptoms, so some concerns around body image, for example, um, where exercise behaviour might be a maintaining factor. That's just one example. Um, we may need to offer some some more screening or support. All those interventions might not be appropriate at all. So we kind of need to pull back and say physical activity is not something that we should just be giving to everybody and promoting to everybody. Um, it might not be appropriate for some people, and I think we should be aware of, of that. But the bottom line for sort of youth depression and anxiety is we really don't have the, enough data at the moment, and that's, that's kind of across... Uh, talking therapy and and also medication as well. It's we we need a lot more data on on the impacts of these interventions. Certainly, whether there are harms or not. Do we know why physical activity helps people with depression? It's a million dollar question, I guess. Um, short answer is we don't really know. It's likely a sort of a really complex mix of the biological stuff. So things that's things that are happening in our bodies and our brains and psychosocial pathways too. So things sort of like in our mind or our environment. Um, some of those sort of biological hypotheses, um, there's a, a few around um, sort of neurogenesis. Um, so that's sort of where physical activity might be associated with uh, increasing neuronal growth in certain areas of the brain Um, And those particular areas have been implicated in depression and anxiety. So places like the hippocampus. Um, So those are are sort of, that's one particular biological one. There's also the inflammation hypothesis. So where physical activity, well, where sort of depression and anxiety actually are are kind of being talked about as inflammatory diseases, which is a bit hypothetical, but... um, they, they do see markers of inflammation in the sort of the peripheral nervous system of people who are experiencing these uh, depression and anxiety. Um, and physical activity itself might have an anti-inflammatory effect as well. Acutely, I think it has an inflammatory effect, but over a bit of a longer term, there might be a, a, an anti-inflammatory response there. So that might indicate maybe some of the biological reasons why we might be getting this, this kind of benefit. But there's also the psych- psychosocial ones, which sort of are quite quite interesting. Um, things like distraction, providing a distraction from rumination, uh, for example, or something like a general behavioural activation sort of effect. So, you know, you might um, increase uh, engagement in something that's adaptive, something that makes you feel good and it provides a, an opportunity for positive reinforcement, particularly if you sort of link mood monitoring in with it. But I think one of the one of the issues that we've we took out of our review as well, and it's linked to sort of Annie's work, is a lot of these different mechanisms. And and Andre, you mentioned it before, could be explored if we had some more fine grained measurement that was happening, sort of 
day by day or at least week by week during these these studies like sort of like a 12-week study you sort of get a you get a before you get maybe a midpoint and then a an end point sort of thing and that's the only data you've got when all of these complex processes are happening throughout the entire potentially throughout the entire intervention period so linking in some of that that um monitoring that could be happening through you know passive devices or even little um momentary assessment questionnaires or something like that would be really beneficial because we could probably start to tease apart some of the, at least some of the psychosocial mechanisms anyway, things that are changing while the intervention is happening that might then down the track lead to an improvement in depression or anxiety. So there's a lot of future work there which um, I think would be really important to, to sort of illuminating how and why activity might help with depression and anxiety. What are remote measurement technologies? Any digital technology with the capability of collecting data um, from an individual uh, in real time as they go about their day-to-day life. Um, So this can include all the, um, as you say, not just exercise, but all the physical activity they're doing. Um, And it's through like a remote interface. And what I mean by that is basically just a smartphone or a smartwatch and things like that. Um, it's collecting data all the time, um, both passively, so it collects your heart rate, um, things like that without you having to um, input data. Um, but of course, also you can download apps that associated apps that go with your watch um, and you can input mood logs. You can um, input how you're feeling that day. Um, what you did that all your activities that day your exercise um everything um so in this way the thing is they could be used to um detect changes that could be relevant to depression um such as decreased mobility um and this could be used for anything from um, screening for depression um symptom management um and also um the thinking is relapse prevention, but I really don't, <laughs> really don't think we're quite there. What does your work tell us about remote measurement technologies? Because it's such a novel and interesting field, um, there's just so much research that hasn't scrutinised any of the kind of realist or ethical or potential harms. Um, that are likely to impact how remote measurement technologies um, will work in the real world um, for people um, with depression. So what doesn't doesn't work. Um, We found that young people um, have a preference for um, smartphones rather than the kind of wearable um, watches um, just because they're more um, available in the population. This shows a little bit of my possibly adult bias. <laughs> um, but I thought having apps where you have to input data, when you're really low in energy and motivation, that's the last thing that you'd want to do. But um, again, we got this feeling from uh, young people that it was, um, both passive and active monitoring provided sort of a more holistic approach. So it gave the passive data context, if they were able to add how they were feeling that day um, and things like that. We found that depression um, in young people could be best detected 
um, by increased sleep variability. Um, what I mean by that is, um, say one night you go to bed at uh, 10 p.m. The next night you may go to bed at 6 p.m. <laughs> next, it's kind of that changing of your uh, sleep hygiene. Um, changes in mobility um, was a big one. Um, so as depression symptoms got worse, um, people were found to have lower step counts, um, lower what they call Bluetooth co-locations. So that's getting out the house and your phone, <laughs> meeting other phones. Um, and they also had changes in um, social communication. Um, so this was both by their phone, um, so on social media apps, um, but also the frequency and duration of conversations outside. Of course, your phone has a microphone, um, although <laughs> young people really weren't keen on that use of remote measurement technologies. Um, so, yeah, this had uses in um, the self-monitoring um, of symptoms. Um, so let's use physical activity for an example. You could see, oh, my step count was low for today. Perhaps tomorrow I'll try and increase it. There was a sense of also, because it was so data driven, being demotivated by it because, oh, my data's really bad. <laughs> um, I may as well uh, not bother and things like that. A big significant factor for young people, of course, was uh, data the data privacy aspect of it. Um, and this is where we also got into the situation where young people wanted to be able to choose um, what data was shared, who with, um, how much of it, um, and even when, so that they could tag little notes to it. So if it went off to their GP to say, to show the GP how they're doing and manage their symptoms. Um, they really wanted kind of control over, over that aspect. I think like sometimes the likelihood of you wanting to like put that information into an app, for example, can be quite low and other times it can be quite high. I think we definitely will be using it more just because I think everyone's on their phone 24-7. Um, I just don't know how productive it would be. But um, there definitely has been a rise in people using apps and stuff for physical activity. And that's definitely, I think, helped a lot of people. I think it can give people a sense of awareness. I think sometimes when you're very deep in depression or like very, very anxious, um, kind of having that log, like it's like a diary essentially, kind of having that diary that kind of shows you like the ups and downs and how you've been feeling. I think it's definitely helpful. Um, I think some people can become quite obsessive though. And I think it's just being a bit careful. I think the use of technology um, isn't for everyone. The same we were saying for the use of physical activity isn't for everybody. Some people can become obsessive and it can be quite harmful. I think it's just finding the balance of like how to use it in a way that's productive. Is mental health research always playing catch up? I kind of wish it wasn't so, but I think I think you're right. I think we are going to be playing catch up. Um, my concern with the catch up element of it is when we don't know, particularly around harms. That's that's one of the issues that 
that in, in, in listening to um, what we've been discussing about here is if we're not sure um, how data monitoring is going to be impacting the people who are who we're collecting this information from, um, we're not sure of all of the potential um, issues. We, we need to be aware of that up front, I think, before we start going asking people for, um, for information. I think there's a basic there's a basic kind of ethical um, obligation that we have. Um, I know research is 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 more and more coming to terms with that versus kind of sort of like the business world where a lot of these apps are pushed out sort of untested. Um, so yeah, my my kind of sense is caution, but I think you're right. I think we're going to be dealing with it no matter what. There's a lot of unregulated. Um, mental health apps out there, um, which could really be quite dangerous. You can look up how people have reviewed and there are people saying, okay, that this was harmful to me. I think the biggest thing for me though is why are we collecting the data? That question for me is always sort of paramount. And there's this idea of just more data is, is better and I'm not particularly convinced by it, I guess. Um, so I think if we have some clear ideas around what the data is, you know, and the reason why we want to collect it and that, that the people we're collecting it from, if it's, if it's young people that are experiencing depression, and anxiety, that they know what it's about as well and that they're on board with collecting this information and they know what, it's used for, for them personally, as well as if it's for a research project. Visit the Wellcome website to find out more about mental health at the Wellcome Trust.